if we are humble god will always give us grace that's a promise in scripture in 1 peter 5 verse 5 and if we get grace we will always have victory over sin that is romans 6:14 it's just like 2 plus 2 is 4 it can never be 5 it can never be 3 can never be 3.9 not even 4.01 2 plus 2 is always 4 more sure than arithmetic is god's promise god gives his grace to the humble when grace is upon you sin shall not rule over you I thank God that for the day many many years after I was converted when that became real to me I feel sorry that when I was a young Christian nobody preached that truth to me my life could have been better much earlier if I had heard these two simple truths that the only reason I lose my temper is because I'm not humble I don't get grace The only reason I lust with my mind is because I'm not humble I don't get grace. The only reason I love money and pursue after it is because I don't get grace because I'm not humble. The only reason I murmur and complain because I don't get grace. The only reason I doubt whether God will take care of me is because I don't get grace. The only reason my children grow wayward is because I didn't have grace to bring them up properly because I was not humble. ultimately everything boils down to the fact we are not humble therefore we are defeated and we are most reluctant to acknowledge that blessed is the man who is willing to face up to the truth of god's word and say that is right and i am wrong i remember a man i met from the villages of india uh is he was not a believer he was a nominal christian and he came to me in the local language he asked me are you also one of those foolish people who believes that the sun is stationary and the earth rotates on its own axis he said i believe that the earth goes round the sun i see it every day how do i argue with such a man i'm not better than him not at all if i had not studied geography i would believe the same thing and if i had lived 800 years ago on this earth i would have believed the same thing it's like everybody else on earth so i don't despise those who are defeated by sin never because i was defeated by myself i defeated myself in the years when I did not know the simple truth that 2 plus 2 is 4 that God always gives grace to the humble and those who receive grace will always overcome sin but the moment I began to believe that with my heart it changed my life it changed my home life it changed the way I spoke to my wife it changed my attitude to when things went wrong 
They changed my attitude to people who made mistakes about, for which I suffered. No, it was okay. I believed in the sovereignty of God. There's another thing I believed. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that God will never, never allow me to be tested beyond my ability. Amazing truth. I would never be tempted beyond my ability to get angry or to murmur or complain or uh, to be selfish or uh, to love money or to do anything that displeases God because God measures the strength of the temptation coming to me. It's just like in school. A, a child who is in the second grade, a teacher will never give that child a fourth grade question paper and fail it and give it zero saying you didn't pass. How could it pass? It's only in the second grade. He'll give the child a second grade question paper. When that child goes to the third grade, then he's given a tougher question paper. When he goes to the fourth grade, a tougher one. And that's exactly what I have found in my life. Today I can say from my experience, even if that verse is not in scripture, God does not test me beyond my ability. I can say that from my experience. So whenever you say, oh this is becoming too much for me. You're saying God is a liar and I'm speaking the truth. It's becoming too much for me. Or when you say that temptation was too strong for me. Well, do you know what you're saying? You're saying God is a liar. He does allow me to be tested beyond my ability. I just want to tell you a simple truth. God is not a liar. He never allows his children to be tested beyond their ability. But first of all, you have to be his child. Now, if you're not his child, the promises of scripture are not for you. See, a father gives his inheritance to his children, not to all the homeless people on the street. Is there any man who writes a will for all the homeless people on the street? No. You say, but good people must do that. Write their will for all the homeless people on the street. Would you do that? No. It's very easy to preach to others. But would you do that yourself? That's what you ask yourself. You write a will for your children. Yes. God has written his will for his children. And there are amazing promises for his children. Which are not there for the rest of the world. It's just a fact. And God doesn't say it's difficult to be his child. It's very easy. He wants everyone in the world to be his child. He doesn't say, oh, well, you're excluded. I'm not one of those who believe that God sort of picks certain names and say, okay, you go to heaven and the rest he allows them to go to hell. That's a lot of garbage which the devil has taught, unfortunately, some Christians. That God just picks up some names and if he does that, just think of it logically. If that is true, that God just picks up some names and say, okay, you guys are elected to go to heaven and all the rest go to hell and punishes them for eternity, those people can say, what type of God are you? Are you righteous or what? Without picking us, picking our names, you just send us to hell and punish us for what, what for? I don't believe in an unrighteous God like that, like some Christian theologians teach. I believe in a God who is absolutely fair, more righteous than the most righteous judge on this earth. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, that God wants all men to repent. Not a single one is excluded. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 and 5. God wants all men to be saved. Not one is excluded. 
So how in the world can people believe that God favors some people? He does not favor anybody. I want to tell you in Jesus' name, God has no favorites. If you become his child, you are his favorite. Because you chose to become his child. And among his children, there are no favorites. I'm a, I'm a very evil father compared to God. Because Jesus said that in one of his verses. One of the things he said was, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And that, by that sentence he was saying, not that fathers were evil, he was saying compared to God, every father is evil. That means compared to the purity of God's light, everything on earth is darkness. What we call light on the earth is darkness compared to the fantastic light of God. So there are a lot of good fathers on the earth. I'm sure many of you, probably mostly all of you, must be good fathers and mothers. But I want to tell you something. However good you may be to your children, God is a million, billion, million, million, billion times better than that. And compared to him, you're evil. So... I being evil, I have no favorites among my four sons. They are all, everything I would do for one, I would do for the other. Everything. Not one of my sons can ever accuse me of partiality. In the food I gave them, the clothes I bought for them, or the education I gave them, or anything. And I believe God is much better than me. So I want to say to you, God has no partiality. He does not do more for one than the other. And if you find that some child of God has progressed way beyond you even though you were both converted on the same day I'll tell you why it's because he followed the laws of God primarily this law God gives grace to the humble and so he kept on getting grace and you with your pride did not get it so he's way beyond you he's getting his he's entered university and you're still in the kindergarten but you started on the same day. There are many Christians like that I have seen. See, we've seen in our, our church in Bangalore has now gone on for 44 years. Now I want to tell you something. There are people who were in our church 44 years ago who are in exactly the same class they are today. I see that. God's given me discernment to see that. They are exactly in the same level as they were 44 years ago. And there are others who came two or three years ago who have shot past them in two or three years. Why? Is God partial? No. He gives grace to the humble. Our biggest problem is pride. Sin originated in this universe because of pride. We are proud. Man is basically proud. That's why he thinks he knows better than God. What was the sin of Eve in the Garden of Eden? Many people say she ate of the forbidden tree. Yes. But, you know, that was only the action that came from a, a certain attitude in her heart. Every sin that you commit originates in your heart. Whether it's a word or an action. So, if you only deal with the word and the action, you become nice on the outside and the inside you're filthy. It's like you're painting your house on the outside and making it look nice and your inside of your house is stinking, full of garbage. That's how a lot of Christians are. 
But I'd rather not paint my house on the outside and have a clean inside in a house. I'm sure all of you agree with me. Why don't we feel the same way about our life? Do you really believe your external presentation before others is more important than what you are inside? Are you happy to live in a stinking, garbage-smelling house, but outside it's all painted and look nice with nice curtains and all, everybody's fooled that you've got a wonderful house and the house is just stinking. We'd never do that with our house. But most Christians do that with their lives. They're always interested in presenting before others, I'm such a nice man. I speak nicely. I'm gracious. I'm actually very humble. And inside in your mind you're very different. So, when we talk about repentance, the first step in the Christian life is repentance. For a number of years, or for a, num- a long period of time, before Jesus came, God sent John the Baptist to preach repentance. And he said, I have come to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And how did he prepare the way? His only message was repentance and baptism. And the baptism was a baptism of repentance. And... Uh, Anybody who came to him, his message was the same. Give up your sin. So what were they supposed to repent of at that time? They did not know these New Testament truths that I quoted just now. God gives grace to the humble was very vaguely written in the end of Proverbs chapter 3. But it's not very clear. In the New Testament it's clear. It's mentioned twice in James 4 and 1 Peter 5. But it is not so clear in the Old Testament because grace came, John 1.14, through Jesus Christ. Yeah, sorry, John, I think John 1.17 perhaps. Grace, Moses brought the law, but it says Jesus brought grace. There was no grace in the Old Testament. Grace came with Jesus Christ, so nobody could get it. They could get mercy. The great word in the Old Testament is, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. He's merciful, the Lord is merciful, the Lord is merciful. There are Psalms where that's repeated in many verses. But grace, they didn't know. So, they couldn't talk about humility and the grace. And there's no, in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is not, you must be humble. No, it was all external. But, what was that, that was, what was taught in the Old Testament too, and in the New Testament, God, what is God's, universal demand from man. What was the mistake that Eve made? Not just that he, she ate of the tree. Underneath that, you go to the attitude. Always, whenever you sin, ask yourself, why did I sin? I mean, I used to get angry myself for years. And I asked myself, why did I get angry? If I don't deal with the root, the fruit will keep on coming for years. Why did I act that way? Why did I say those words to that person? If you don't deal with the root, I guarantee you'll keep on saying those hurtful words to people the rest of your life. You'll never grow. You'll be in the kindergarten all your life. Always deal with the root. You know, that's one of the great things that medical science discovered. They, they discovered a thing called the antibiotic. You have an injury on the hand or a sore or something. In the olden days, they just put a cream 
it goes off, then it comes on this hand, then you put the cream there, it goes off there, then it comes in your leg, and you put the cream there, until man discovered an antibiotic. And the antibiotic you don't rub on your hand, you eat it. And un- illiterate people can't understand, how in the world can I eat something and deal with this problem on my hand? Because it goes and hits the root, which is causing this sore on your hand. And we understand that, we are educated. That's what God does in the new covenant. But So in Eve's case, her fundamental problem was just this. She thought she knew better than God. God said, if you eat that tree, eat of that tree, you will die. I mean, it's so clear. (laughs) Words couldn't be clearer than that. If you eat from that tree, you will die. And Satan somehow convinced Eve that is not really true. He doesn't really mean that. He's such a loving God. He won't let you die. Doesn't he say that to some of you? Sin is not so serious. Like the Bible says, it doesn't mean that the wages of sin is death. (laughs) You really believe the wages of sin is death? Oh no, the devil says, that's not death. God is so good and he's so kind and it doesn't matter if you keep on sinning. You remember that day when you said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart? That's a magic formula that solved all your problems. You'll definitely go to heaven. That's one of the biggest lies of the devil. God doesn't wait for somebody to say a magic word like some mantra or something and then, oh, okay, now you're secure for eternity. It's one of the greatest deceptions. You remember when there's a story in, Jesus said it's a true story of, it's in Luke 16, of a rich man and Lazarus, the beggar. And the rich man never cared for that beggar on the street. They were brothers. Do you know that they were brothers? Yeah, that's why it was a sin. It was not some strange homeless man. It was his own brother. Because they were Jews. They were all children of Abraham. They were brothers. That man sitting outside the gate was a child of Abraham. Just like this rich man was a child of Abraham. And the Lord wanted them to care for one another. It's just like born again Christians are brothers. The same way. That man was his brother. He never cared for him. That was the sin of the rich man. That's why he went to hell. And when he went to hell, he discovered something. I want you to turn with me to Luke 16. He discovered something that he didn't take seriously when he was on earth. That man never thought he'd go to hell. He was absolutely convinced he was going to the synagogue regularly and The rabbi in the synagogue always thought he was a wonderful guy and made him read the scriptures and exalted him and all that. And he thought, boy, I'm definitely going to get a high place in heaven. And he ended up in hell. And the rabbis did not determine that. God determined it. We read in Luke 16 about this story beginning at verse 19. And when he went to hell, he was burning there. Now, by the way, I want to tell you, this is not a parable. Many people read it as a parable. There are many parables Jesus spoke about the sower, the seed, about the prodigal son, about the lost sheep. Those are all parables, imaginary stories which have a lesson. But this is not a parable. This is a true story. And I'll tell you the reason for that. In no parable does Jesus mention any names. 
of living people. He never in a parable does he speak about Abraham or Moses or no. But here he speaks about Abraham. Here he speaks about the other man called Lazarus, the prodigal son. There's no name because it's a parable. It was not a true story. This is a true story of two people who lived in Israel and one of them went to hell. And when Jesus told this story, that man had already been burning in hell for a long, long time. Even though he was among the children of Abraham who thought they were God's people. It's a great warning for us. Uh, many Christians uh, think that everything's alright with them. It's a, it's a warning. And this other man whom they despised went into God's kingdom. He obviously, obviously had some faith in God. And when he was burning in hell, he said, please get, please, will you please send Lazarus in verse 24 to put some water on my tongue. He doesn't ask for water on his tongue. You see, even when you go to hell, they are evil. That evil nature doesn't go away from them. He does not want Lazarus to remain in heaven. He wants Lazarus to come down to hell as well. That's his aim. Can you imagine how people are evil? You can't, can't stand to see somebody else being better off than they are. Do you find that in yourself? Somebody else is better off than you are and you somehow wish that he would also suffer in some way so that he'd become like you. That's exactly this man. That's the attitude of people in hell. You see somebody in heaven and say, how can I get that fellow down here? Lazarus, how dare he be in heaven and I'm out here. Please send him down here to get some water so that he knows that if Lazarus comes to hell, he'll be there forever. That was his thing. But he was burning and, Jesus, and Abraham said, verse 25 and verse 26, there's a great gulf between heaven and hell. Those who are there can never come here and those who are here can never go there. That's the end. It's a final thing. There's no such thing as like some people teach, after many years of suffering, God will finally transport them into heaven. Well, you can believe that rubbish if you want. But Jesus said here, this is, the, this is the words of Jesus that Abraham said, no one can ever cross from there, verse 26, to here, and no one can go from here even if they want to. And a lot of people there in hell want to cross over, but they can't. It's so clear. I believe Jesus. Because he's the only one who knows about heaven and hell. He's the only one who walked on this earth who could speak with authority on heaven and hell. You and I can't. Then he, okay, he realized that Lazarus cannot come to hell. But somehow, can I get him out of heaven? You know, when you see someone in a good place, you want to somehow get him out of there. He says, okay, if you can't get him to heaven, send him back to earth. I beg you, Father, verse 27, send him to my father's house. It irritates me to see him in heaven, this beggar who was lying at my gate. Send him to my father's house and then he says, he has a concern for his five brothers. It's amazing. The people in hell today feel sorry for their relatives on earth who they know are coming there. But those relatives don't know it. Imagine people had a burden in hell for their unconverted relatives who think everything is alright because they go to church. They sing the songs. 
they please the priest or the bishop and they think everything is okay but the people in hell know that they are not okay I tell you one thing however blind we may be once you get to hell I hope you'll never go there but those who go there the eyes are opened immediately they know reality immediately when you go to heaven your eyes are opened immediately those who go to hell their eyes are opened immediately and they get a burden okay I can never get out of here I can't even get water here but my brothers he wasn't thinking of all the others but he was thinking of his loved ones my children my brothers and sisters who I lived with for so long who I grew up with where are they going are they going to come here and please send him to warn them and Abraham said verse 29 no they've got the Bible see Abraham's answer they've got Moses and the prophets the word the phrase Moses and the prophets means the five books of Moses Genesis to Deuteronomy and all the other prophets all the way to Malachi it's the Old Testament Bible that's what he was saying they've got the Bible let them read that it's all written there in the Bible but he said no father Abraham verse 30 if someone goes to them from the dead they will listen if Lazarus goes back and says hey fellas you saw me like a beggar there but I died and I went to heaven and I'll tell you what happens like that you know if you go if you search Google for those who say they've gone to heaven and hell there are numerous it's not one or two people there are hundreds and thousands of people who say they've gone to heaven and all absolute garbage because Abraham says no one can cross over from here to there all these people who say I died and I went to heaven they were in a coma I've heard of people who are in a coma for two years. Medical coma. And they, they recover out of it. So somebody's in a coma for um, half a day or something. Or a um, couple of days. And then he has some dreams and all. And he comes back and talks about heaven and hell. It's all the things that were, went through his imagination. They didn't go to heaven or hell. I don't believe even one of those stories. I believe the Bible. It is appointed unto men. Hebrews 9.27 Hebrews 9.27 it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment I believe that Hebrews 9.27 so I don't believe these people who say they died came back and they died again you mean they died twice <laughs> I don't believe that type of garbage if you, if you want to believe you can believe that it's just a lot of nonsense and the, if you do a google search there are hundreds of people saying that all over And Abraham said, they've got the Bible, let them listen to that. I remember somebody once came to me and said, hey, there's a testimony that I discovered in a Google search of somebody in South America or somebody who died and went to hell and came back and told everything about it. Shall we print out that testimony and give it to people so that people realize? You know what I said? Exactly what Abraham said. They've got the Bible. <laughs> if they don't listen to that, they're not going to listen to this testimony which is fake in any case these people do all this too they write books on it and they make millions of dollars selling those books I went to heaven and came back I believe Hebrews 9.27 it's appointed unto men once to die and after that they are not coming back the judgment they may be in a coma oh that I can understand and come back from a coma there are many hundreds of thousands of cases like that in medical history 
They cannot go from here to there. They cannot go from there to here. And then, listen to this. This is the thing that struck me. Abraham said, they got the Bible. There's no need for them to listen to anybody. They got the Bible. And that's exactly what the Bible, the Lord says today. And then he said, no father Abraham, if, verse 30, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Ah! People who go to hell realize that it's because they did not repent that they went there. I'll tell you one thing. The message of repentance is the message which is least preached in Christendom today. Even in the songs, try and find a song that speaks about repentance. Look at any hymn book and see how many songs speak about repentance. Even the songs that are sung in public meetings, uh, to God be the glory, great things he had done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son. The vilest offender, I'm quoting that song, well-known song, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. It's not true. We changed it when we sing it in our church in Bangalore. The vilest offender who repents and believes. But the original song is the vilest offender who truly believes. What do you mean? If you believe you go to heaven? The apostles preached repentance and faith. And what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. That's what Jesus said. Repentance and faith have been joined together by God, but preachers have put it asunder. And most gospel preaching is only believe, 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 till you have raised a generation of people who are on their way to hell because they never repented. But the fellow who has gone to hell, he knows, he, 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 the only way to escape it is by repenting. So he said, go and tell my brothers to repent, to turn from their sin, not to make the mistake that Eve made, who thought that God is not, so, not going to be so strict, even if I disobey him, or who thought they know better than God. And then, listen to Abraham's final words. If they don't believe the Bible, if they don't listen to what's written in the scriptures, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead and goes and tells them. Imagine, if somebody actually, let's, say, let's suppose it's never going to happen, but let's suppose somebody you knew very well and you saw him dead and you saw him buried and you know where his tomb is. And one day, that guy comes back to your house and tells you, Hey, do you know that everything written in the Bible is true? And then he disappears. Would you start reading the Bible then? I'll tell you, you will not. Because I believe Abraham. If they don't read the Bible now, they're not going to read it, even if someone who you know rises from the dead and comes back and tells you the Bible is true. I don't need anybody to come back from the dead and tell me the Bible is true. I've read it for 60 years. It has changed my life. It has given an answer to me for every situation I've ever faced in my life and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying it has solved all my earthly problems. No. God allows some problems to exist so that I become a better Christian. And I thank God for that. He doesn't heal me all my diseases. Even the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he never got healed. It made him a better Christian. 
So Christianity is not meant to solve all our earthly problems. It is meant to make us like Jesus Christ. Meant to make us the way God wanted man to be. When God made Adam, he had a plan for him. Adam failed him miserably. And then years later, 4,000 years later, God sent Jesus and said to the world, this is the way I wanted man to live. Look at the way Jesus lived. When they called him Beelzebub, prince of devils, he said, forgiven. Do you forgive people who insult you and call you bad names? You're not like Christ. Christ forgave immediately. Even when they killed him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The worst possible crime that anybody could commit against another is the crucifixion of Christ and Jesus forgave them immediately. Teaching us that any crime that anybody does against me, I must forgive. Because whatever crime somebody commits against me cannot be worse than the crucifixion of Christ. The greatest sin that man ever committed on this earth. They killed the son of God and he said, Father forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. So any of you who think that you have an excuse for not forgiving, you haven't understood the scriptures. I read the other day of some, you know, I get hundreds of mails from all over the world through the internet. And one of them said, Oh, well those are, that's in my unconverted days, I didn't forgive some people and all. That's all over. I don't have to talk about it now. What do you mean you don't have to talk about it now? If you haven't forgiven them, you still haven't forgiven them. Even after you're converted. Zacchaeus, when he got converted, decided he had to repay all the debts he owed. He can't say, oh, well, those, do- those debts were in my unconverted days. It's all blotted out in the blood of Christ. It is not. We may be forgiven something, but we will still reap what we sow. And we are not going to be forgiven if we don't set right the things that we did wrong, which we can set right. Certain things we cannot set right. If I were to ask you this question, what is the last command that Jesus gave to the church in the Bible? The last command that Jesus gave to the church in the Bible. Most Christians, I'd say more than 90% will say, the last command is go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Mark 16 and Matthew 28. I say wrong. That was the last command he gave on earth. But the last command he gave to the church in the Bible is after he went to heaven where he told five of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 repent, repent, repent otherwise I'll do this. Repent, otherwise I'll rub out your name from the book of life. Repent, otherwise you'll be hurt by the second death. You'll go to hell. He's writing to churches. Read that. Take some time to read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where the Lord said to people in the churches, if you don't repent, you'll die of the second death, which is hell. If you don't repent, I'll rub out your name from the book of life, which was there and it's removed. The last command that Jesus gave to the is to repent, to turn from your sin. And that's what people said in hell. Go and tell my brothers to repent. My dear brothers and sisters, that is what we need to do all the time. We begin our Christian life like that and we need to do it till the end of our life. God is my witness that I repent every day of my life. I can say that before God. I'm not repenting of the same things I did 10, 20 years ago. No. 
It's like saying, I'm not struggling with the same arithmetic problems I struggled with in second grade or third grade. No, no, no. I've learned all that, but mathematics is a subject where you keep on struggling, learning new, new things. And so, sin is also like that. Why do we need to repent every day? I'll tell you. Because the Bible says that the goal of our salvation, God's purpose is to make me 100% like Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29, if you want to know the verse. He predetermined that I should become like Christ one day. And you also. That is the goal towards which it says, let us run the race looking unto Jesus. And until I reach that goal, can I say that I become like Christ today? No. And if there's some area in my life where I've not become like Christ, I have to repent there. As God shows it to me. God shows me, hey, this area, I know in many areas you've already become Christ-like, but in this area you've not. And there's a whole lot you've not become Christ-like, then I need to repent. And that I'll tell you when I'll stop repenting. When I have become 100% like Christ. And that will happen only when he comes again. I'll tell you this, I will never repent in heaven. I will never repent after Jesus comes back because the moment he comes back, I will be like him. Then I don't repent. But if I'm not repenting until that day, it shows that I'm not making progress in my Christian life. I'm assuming that I'm... Who are the ones who don't repent every day? Those who feel, oh, I'm already like Christ. I don't need to repent about anything. Really? <laughs> don't fool yourself, my brother, sister. So repentance is not something just for the beginning of our Christian life. It is throughout our Christian life. Repentance is the indication that you're running the race and progressing. The Bible says the Christian life is like a race. We start... When we are really born again, repentance and faith, and then we progress. How do we progress? By constant repentance and faith. Lord, I turn. Oh, you showed me something more in my life where I was selfish. And Lord, you showed me something more in my life where I was proud. I spoke in an arrogant way that, to that person. I gossiped about that other person. That was not an act of love. Would you gossip against your own children? Would you, supposing you see some defect in your children, let me assume, supposing you see some defect in your children, would you go around telling all the other, your neighbors and all, hey, you know how this child of mine behaves? Would you tell everybody in the church, do you know how this child of mine behaves? Never! You know why? Because you love your children. But that other guy you gossip about, you don't care for him. But the Bible says you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm giving you an example of some, such obvious things we have to repent of. And leave alone the more subtle things where I have to repent of my motive in doing something good. For example, you do something good and you realize that you did that so that you get some honor from others. For, oh, that they will appreciate you. Oh, what a wonderful Christian he is. Oh, what a wonderful, gracious Christian she is. And you don't repent of that. I'll tell you, I've had to repent many times of the good that I did and afterwards I sought some honor for it in my heart. Not publicly. In my heart. Oh, I hated myself. I said, Lord, I'm such an evil person that in doing good, I'm seeking honor for myself instead of doing everything for the glory of Christ. 
these are the subtle things or some way I did something and the whole thing was with a selfish motive or I said something and it was utter selfishness the way I said it and what I said I just want to say there's a lot of scope for repentance in our life so let's meditate on that a little and then it will go better and better let's pray Heavenly Father as we bow before you Please give us light. Light is the most blessed thing you can give to us on our own lives. Areas of our life, I long with all of my heart to see areas of my life that are unchristlike, even today, that I can be more like you, because that's your goal. And I want to press on towards that goal, and I pray that many here will be gripped by that, to press towards the goal which you have planned for all your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.